I've been a parent now for about 10 years, give or take a little bit, about going on 10 and a half now. And I'm to the point where I, I don't really remember that well life without my kids. You say, it's only been 10 years. Well, I, I apparently don't have a very good memory, but, but I'm getting to that point. And maybe you are there. You've already been there. It's hard for, for me to remember what life was like without my kids. And I'm blessed to be the father of four children. And being a parent is really now just a part of who I am. And, and it's changed me in a lot of ways. Maybe you can relate. If you correct your coworkers and friends when they don't say please and thank you, then you might be a parent. If you hum clean up, clean up, everybody, everywhere. When you're washing the dishes alone, then you might be a parent. If you would give your left arm for a top-of-the-line, brand-new, state-of-the-art, fully-loaded minivan, and you might be a parent. And if you swore previously that you would never, under any circumstances, for any reason whatsoever, ever, ever, ever drive a minivan, then you might be a parent. If you've had to choose between 10 extra minutes of sleep or the shower that you haven't had in three days, then you might be a parent. If you've ever hidden in a closet to eat a cookie... <laughs> And you, you just might be a parent. If there's more food under your kitchen table than on it, then you might be the parent of small, four small little kids that live across the street in my house. If you can carry on a coherent, excited, one-sided conversation with something that can't talk back and cannot even speak, then you might be a parent. You've gotten pretty good at that. You know, being a parent is an incredible job. It's incredibly difficult. Incredibly confusing a lot of times, incredibly crazy. It's a job probably that if you're finding yourself as a parent now, it's a job nobody really prepared you for. All of a sudden, here you are, and you're expected to know everything about everything, and you don't know anything about anything. It's a job probably no one really prepared you for. It, you know, it's a job that doesn't always give immediate results. Many times you'll see the fruit of your parenting years and years later, good or bad. It's a job that makes you feel in a lot of ways like you're trying to herd cats or nail jello to a wall. It just doesn't work very well sometimes. It, it's hard to do. I can relate to that. And I know many of you who are here today who have been there or are there right now, you can relate as well. Being a parent is full of joy. It's full of pain. A lot of times it's just full of confusion. And so today, I hope that we can just uncover what God has to say about our roles as parents and then begin to just say, all right, Lord, I'll, I'll try to follow that. I'll begin to put that into practice. The Bible, just so you know, is not a systematic textbook on parenting. I think God's too wise for that. What God shows us is the fact that He knows what it's like to be a father, to have rebellious children. To have to impose discipline. To have to love people who don't always love you back. He knows what it's like. And so what he offers and displays in the scripture isn't systematic textbook kind of approach to parenting. Instead, what he offers is parenting just woven into the daily life of the people. Which is how it happens, isn't it? 
Parenting is not always that formal. So God has provided for us in Scripture a, a description of the role that we play as parents, some of the goals that we should have as parents, and some of the tools that are at our disposal. And that's what we'll look at over the next three weeks. Our ongoing sermon series, if you've been with us, and if you haven't, I'll catch you up. It's called Family Matters. Every family has certain matters that, uh, that come up, and family really does matter. And so what we've looked at are just the roles and responsibilities that each of us in a family plays. So we've, we've discussed men and women, and this week we begin to look at what God has to say about parenting. Now, as I prayed, I know many here today, when I start to talk about parenting, you, you wish you weren't even here. It's painful. It's, it's difficult. You're here because, well, I go to church and I, 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 I listened. You know, I'm a man, but I listen to those sermons on women, so I better listen to these too. But, but it's painful. Maybe you couldn't have children. Or maybe you lost a child. It's just tough. Or in your life, your kids didn't turn out the way you wanted them to. It's very hard. I want you to know that, that God knows where you are. He has not forgotten you. That He loves you, that His grace is sufficient for you in that weakness. And I want you to know that we at Elm Grove, regardless of who you are, regardless of how long you've been here, or how short you've been here, we're willing to walk with you through that difficult journey. In many cases, there's no way out of something. There's only a way through. And it's God who can see you through, and we'll be happy to walk with you. So I know today is tough for many. But it's still a subject, obviously, that we need to address. That we, we want to make sure that folks understand the role of parenting. Now, I'll just tell you up front, I don't preach today as some parenting guru, as if I've got all the answers. That's not, that's not the deal. But like you, I, I just love my kids, and I want to be the best parent that I can be. I want to be a better parent tomorrow than I am today. I want to be a more godly parent tomorrow than I am today. And so I, I preach to you from that perspective. And, and ultimately, what I preach to you from is the word from the greatest parent ever, our Heavenly Father. And that's what we'll look at today. Turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. What we'll see here in this particular passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy, and by the way, that's way over in the Old Testament, the fifth book, as a matter of fact, in the Bible. If you're not familiar with Scripture, you don't know where things are in the Bible, please don't let that stop you in any way. Just go to the table of contents, look it up. Deuteronomy starts with a D-E-U. Deuteronomy. And find the page number and go there. Deuteronomy chapter 6. You'll also see on the, on, uh, the outline there, there's a way that you can scan the code and it will take you to an outline that's very similar to what you have with Scripture included. But what we're going to find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is an instance where God simply weaves in instruction on parenting as He talks to the nation of Israel about what they're to be and to do in the promised land. Now, what's happened before chapter 6 is that Moses, this great leader of the Israelites, is, is just preparing them to say, don't forget this and be sure to remember that. All their lives, these people that he's talking to, they had either been slaves in Egypt or wanderers in the desert. They had no idea what it's like to live as free people who aren't wandering around with nowhere to go for 40 years. They needed to know what it was like to be in relationship with God. What does it mean? In between their time in slavery and their wandering in the desert, God rescued and delivered them from slavery, established a new relationship with them. And so in order to teach them how to live in relationship with God, He gave them the law. 
Make sure that you understand theologically that the law came after the relationship was established. The law is not the means to the relationship. It is the result of the relationship. Here's how you are to live in relationship with a holy God in your presence. And here's how you're to live in the midst of people who don't love God. That's what the law is about. They're about to enter this land where people don't love God. How do they need to live? They've never lived in this relationship with God in such a free way as they'll experience in the promised land. How do you do that? And so Moses is showing them. He's reminding them, here's what you are to be and to do so that you can experience all the good that God has to offer in relationship with Him. And so you'll avoid getting messed up by the lifestyles of these people that are so ungodly and so sinful, God doesn't want you to associate with them. And that's what Moses is discussing when we pick it up in chapter 6. If you've got the outline there, what you'll see is we're just going to kind of go verse by verse. I've left you some space. If you want to make a note, circle a word, make a mark, help to define something, whatever it may be, and then we'll get to to part of the the fill-in-the-blank stuff. Look at verse 1 real quick. Moses is talking here. This is the command, the statutes and ordinances that the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and Possess. So here's the deal. Israel, God wants me to teach you this stuff not so that you'll just know some more Scripture. That's good. But that's not the point. The point is, Israel, God wants me to teach you this stuff so you'll actually do it. Now, they had had a problem with this. If you remember before, Moses went up on the mountain to talk to God, and he's gone a long, long time. And the people start to wonder, well, where's Moses gone? I guess he's left us. They look at his brother Aaron. And they say, Aaron, where is this God? Where is Moses? They all voted, let's construct a golden calf and dance around it as if this is the representation of our God. Aaron just sort of went along with the people. They had a problem with doing what God said because God didn't want anything like that going on. They knew what God said. They didn't do it. And then later they get to the edge of the promised land. And they send out some spies in the land. Twelve of them go in to scout it all out. Two of them come back, men of faith, Joshua and Caleb. And they say, I don't care what the report is. God said we can take it. The other ten folks said, I'm not so sure. Scouting report comes back. The other team's better than us. Let's not even play. And the people agreed with those who had no faith. And so God said, fine. You'll wander around in the desert for 40 years. They knew what God had said, but they simply refused to do it. So Moses here, before they're entering the promised land, is saying, folks, don't do that again. Hear what God is saying, but don't just hear it. Don't just fill your minds with it. Actually do it. Moses is making sure there's no confusion. So he tells them, verse 1, here are the boundaries, the laws, the commands, the stuff God wants you to actually do and follow. And make sure you do it, not just now, but when you get into the land, the future that God has promised for you, that's where it's most important. We'll see more about that in a minute. Look at verse 2. Do this, following those commands, so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all His statutes and commands I am giving you, your son and your grandson, so that you may have a long life. Now, this is sort of the same thing as verse 1. A little bit of a reiteration, but I want you to know that there are, there are 50 or more times in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses reminds the people to actually do what God says. But that, that's really the theme of Deuteronomy. Do what God says. When you get in the promised land, do what God says. So he begins to get in here in verse 2 some of the benefits of actually doing what God says. One of those is that their fear of God would increase. 
fear being their reverence, their awe, their love, their worship of God. The more that they would follow God, the more that would increase. You may be a person today, and you say, you know, I'm in church this morning, but God's really not that important to me. I, I, I don't have much of a reverence for Him. I, try this week. Try simply obeying some of the things God has already told you to do. And, and I believe you'll see more of His heart. You'll see more of why He said do this and avoid that. And you'll begin to, to have a greater awe and worship and reverence for Him than you did before. Another benefit that Moses talks about is this long life. Now, some folks in our world today, some of which are very popular and some of whom you'll see on television on a regular basis, will tell you that if you do what God says, that you will have everything you've ever wanted, that you'll never get sick, that everything will be great in your life. Now, you ought to know better by now. Because you've been sick before, haven't you? Has everything gone exactly perfectly the way you designed? No, not quite. So that stuff, as nicely as I can put it, is garbage. The idea here that Moses is giving the people is not, well, if you do this, 2 plus 2 is always going to equal 4. If you, if you honor God and follow Him, then you'll never have a problem in your life. That's garbage. We know better than that. You don't have to have chapter and verse for me to tell you that. You know in your own life that's not true. You've done what God has told you to do and things went wrong. That's not what Moses is talking about. What he's telling them is that if you want your generation and the one to follow, and the one to follow, and the one to follow that, to enjoy a lasting time, to be established, and to have your time extended in this promised land, a long life for Israel in the promised land, is predicated on you all doing what God has said to do. That's what he's telling. And so he understands their obedience matters not just to them, but to generations to come. Verse 3. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. So the idea here is that the closer they would get to following what God wants them to do, the more they're going to experience the benefits of those promises that He made to their ancestors. Now, for the past 440 years, the existence of Israel had been pretty difficult, either as slaves or as wanderers. And now this place that God offers them is incredible. This place flows, it says, with milk and honey. Now, understand that's figurative talk. It doesn't literally mean that they had rivers that were a combination of milk and honey. That would be sort of odd. I'm not sure how long the plants could last with that, or nor would you want to drink that all the time. What he's saying is, this land flows with milk, meaning there's good pasture land for all the cows that produce milk. It's a very fertile land. And it flows with honey, meaning that's a sign of abundance. The sweetness of the honey just gives you a picture of what this land is like. That's the future that God had for them. So verses 1 to 3 show that God has some good things that He wants for His people. He's leading them to a place where they would experience the ongoing and beneficial relationship with Him. And this land that He had promised to them, so important to them, He's saying, this is what you'll experience. It's going to be incredible. Now, notice a couple of things about this land in particular. It's good. God had something good for them. He wanted them to experience a good future. It was a gift from God Himself. The land would be an inheritance for their children to outlive them. But this land would be filled with lots of false gods and lots of enemies. They, they would be tempted to, to be enticed and to give in to that way of life. You realize also this land would have to be fought for? I think that's part of the reason the Israelites didn't want to do what God said, because they just figured, well, God, we showed up. 
Now you just got to lay everybody to waste here. God said, well, that's great, but I'll fight your battles for you, but you're going to have to be involved too. And so what they were going to encounter was going to be good, but it wasn't going to be easy. Now you think about your future. I firmly believe that what God wants for you in relationship with Him in your future is good. God is for you, not against you. And yet it's not going to be easy. Consider parenting, for example. I believe God wants parenting to be a blessing to you. Is it always that way? No. In order to experience the good about it as best we can, and to be prepared for the difficult, because it certainly will come, I think we have the principle here that we are to do what God says. We'll experience more of the good in the relationship with the Lord, and we'll be more prepared for the difficult. Moses continued this instruction, verse 4. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a summary statement of faith for the Israelites. That is their pledge of allegiance to God. Basically what it's saying is there is one God and His name is Yahweh. There is no other God. There is no division among God. He is not split up into all these multiple little gods that you see in the land of Canaan. That's not what God is about. There is one God. So no matter what anybody tells you, Israel, when, when someone asks you, who is your God? You are to say, our God is Yahweh, Yahweh alone. And that is it. He is the only God. And so for the Israelites, this was their pledge of allegiance, their statement of faith. And as a result of this covenant relationship with God, this statement of faith in Him, Moses goes on to verse 5. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, some of you probably know Jesus said this as well, but it originates here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So love, in that sense, means to desire, to go after, to place as the highest priority. Literally, the word means to breathe after. You can't get enough. And so Moses says, this isn't just some warm feeling toward God. This is whole life devotion. All that you are, everything about you, to love God with your heart literally means to love Him with who you really are. We say, well, I've got you in my heart. That just means I feel good about you. Moses wasn't talking about that. I say it's not a warm, fuzzy feeling. Make no mistake, when, when the Bible says love God with your heart, it's not, well, I, I feel positively about God. That's good, but that ain't the point. The point is, who you really are is your heart, your inner person. And Moses says you're to love God with who you really, who you really are at the very core. Now that's different than feeling good about something, isn't it? That changes the ballgame just a little bit. Moses goes on, he says, love God with all your soul. Now in some ways this is a reiteration here of love God with your heart. Your soul is literally the breath inside of you. Your living being, your personality, your passions, your desires. Loving God with all of that. And then he says, love God with all your strength. With everything you can muster. Love God. So pretty well covers it. Love God from the inside out with everything you are all the time. And loving God means doing what he says. Look at verse 6. These words I am giving you today are to be in your heart. What God says isn't to be treated as something we just tolerate on a weekly basis during the sermon on Sunday morning. Loving God includes having those words of God in your heart, giving in a prominent home, not just in our minds, but at the core of who we are. Etched in stone, carved forever on our lives. 
Now, if you remember, I told you at the very beginning that God weaves in parenting to just stuff that's going on. So far, all we've seen are just instructions to the nation of Israel. But what God is going to show is just how important this is to parenting. Now, what we've got already is the first part of this biblical role of parenting. If you're wanting this role to be very clear, if you're confused, I'm not even sure where to start. I don't know what to do as a parent. I have no clue. I'm struggling. Please help me. Then I'm going to try to make it very clear because I think God has done that. So let's start filling in the blanks real quick. The first half of this basic biblical role, according to God, what is the role of parents? The first half is to love God. Love God. Now, obviously, that's not just for parents. That's for all of us. Moses is not only addressing parents, but addressing the entire nation of Israel. So this is not only for parents. But what we'll see is that Moses is going to give them its instruction on here's how that plays out as a parent. This is very important. So let's be honest with each other just for a minute. Do you love God? I don't mean that as a rhetorical question. Well, of course I do. I live in America. Everybody in America loves God. One nation under God. It's in the pledge for crying out loud. That's not what I'm talking about. God bless America. You know, they sing it at the seventh inning. Right before, right before they get to take me out to the ball game, they sing God bless America. Of course I love God. That's not what I'm talking about. Do you really, and I mean really, truly love God? That's the essence, I really believe. That's the essence of the relationship that we're to have with God. Not just, oh yes, I believe these things about God. Certainly that's included. Do you love God? Really? It's important to think about. It sounds cliche. It, it, it sounds like I'm making it more dramatic than it needs to be. But I honestly, I, I want to give you the opportunity to, Lord, do I really love you or not? Because unless you do, folks, nothing else matters. But, I mean, you can be a great parent. You don't love God. You've just been a great parent. There are lots of great parents who don't love God. But that's got to be the foundation. So the, the, the first part of this biblical role is to love God. Start there every day. Get back there every day. Don't ever grow out of that. Well, I want something deeper, preacher. i got nothing else. To be honest with you. It doesn't get any deeper in your relationship with God than love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's it. That's where it comes from. That's where it leads to. I firmly believe that the, the most important thing that you can do for your parenting is simply to love God. Because when you begin to receive love from Him and understand how to love Him back, when you receive love from Him and you realize it's not based upon your performance, good or bad, you'll see a picture of how you're supposed to love your kids. Easier said than done. But when you begin to love God back as well, you, you'll see how that's going to apply to your parenting. So love God. It's the beginning of your role as a parent. Now, I've got listed there on, on your little outline some now what stuff. I, I want to give you the first of those because it relates to this love God portion of things. So for those of you that are sort of OCD right now and you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, skipping a blank, I'm aware. It's on purpose. It'll all be okay. Skip the blank. We'll come back to that. I promise you'll get them all filled in. Breathe. Spend some time with God each day. Does that mean you love God? Not necessarily. But I can't emphasize this enough. I know you don't have much time. 
I don't either. Nobody here does. Everybody here is busier than everybody else here. I get it. But I cannot emphasize this enough. I'm not even telling you how much time to spend with God. Or even really what to do when you're spending time with God. I'm not trying to give you a list of rules and regulations. I'm just telling you, there is nothing more important that you can do as a parent than to spend time with God each and every day. If you're not doing that, if you're neglecting or avoiding that, I can guarantee you this. Eventually, it will lead to, if you're honest, emptiness and confusion and disillusionment. Spending time with God won't make all your problems go away. That's not even the point. Well, Pastor, I spent time with God every single day this week. Nothing changed. can't guarantee everything's going to change. But as an extension of loving God, to spend some time with Him each and every day, I believe will get you closer to His heart, help you understand, and help you to love Him more. Now, God is going to weave in here some instruction on parenting as it happens in everyday life, and that's really where it is. You know, parenting isn't a formal process where you sit your kids down on the couch and you say, okay, kids, for the next 20 minutes you will be parented. (laughs) Be still. 20 minutes. You will be parented, and then you will be dismissed. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Man, I'd love that. And they just soak it up. Oh, Dad, thank you for parenting me. You're so incredible. It'd be nice, but that's not the way it works. You realize, you know, parenting is a 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. So you might as well get used to it. And if you need to, get over it. Embrace it. And then begin to say, all right, God, how do I handle that? It's not as simple as sitting them down. It's woven into the very fabric of our lives. Look at what Moses tells them as, 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 after he's told them, have God's word in your heart. He says the beginning of verse 7, look at this, repeat them, those laws, that, that word of God to your children. That word repeat, it means obviously the idea of doing something over and over and over again. It carries with it the idea that we should indoctrinate our children with God's truth. Now hold on just a second. Shouldn't my kids think for themselves? Absolutely. Can't they think for themselves? Well, sure they can. But should they be guided in biblical truth by parents who love God? Absolutely. They are, according to what this word means, sort of like dull arrows or knives that need to be sharpened over and over and over with the truth of God's Word so they can be made useful. I'm not telling you don't let your kids think for themselves. I'm not telling you they can't think for themselves. I'm simply telling you to maybe picture them as students that God has given you to teach. And there is a test for them coming, and they need to know God's truth. You're not totally responsible for all the decisions they make. That's not the point. But you are to repeat these words to your children. You can't afford to allow them to hear about Jesus only at church. You realize that the folks that are overleading worship kids style right now are wonderful people that love Jesus, and they're going to have your kids for about an hour. That's it. You can't afford to let them chart their own course in life. The heart is sinful, the Bible says. It will not, it will not choose the path of God. They have to instruct it and lead it. So you are responsible as a parent to repeat the truth 
that God has placed on your heart and given you in His Word. And then the rest of verse 7. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Talk about them. It, it has the idea that you are to guide them to pasture land. Like guiding sheep. So we're to sharpen them and to guide them. Now this can't be reduced to some formality of only certain times of the week or day. This is giving them guidance in everything all the time. And he says, when you lie down, when you get up, when you sit in your house, when you walk along, just everything you're doing, wherever you are, guide them in God's truth. So on your way home from church, when you're discussing where to go out to eat, discussing maybe is, you know, you're arguing about where you're going to go out to eat, figure out a way through that. Maybe you'll have to repent and you say, hey, you know, God's... God's got something maybe to say when you're on the way home from church or when you're getting your kids ready for school tomorrow, standing with them at the bus stop or whatever you may be doing, when they send you a text message or when they stop by for supper, whatever it may be. As a parent, don't ever forget that you are the most powerful and influential person in the lives of your children. And the most powerful and influential thing you can do is just use your everyday talk to guide them toward Jesus. Is that it? Is that all I got? No. But that's the most powerful and influential thing. You know what it's estimated? That teenagers spend 35 minutes a week talking to their dads. That's five minutes a day. It's estimated that by the time a kid reaches first grade, he will have spent more time in front of the television than he ever will spend with his dad. Isn't that crazy? We know it's true. Oh, not in my house. We know it's true. All I think that we should do this week is just begin the process of taking back the influence that God has said is rightfully ours in the first place. This may be difficult, I realize, um, for some who are here. You, uh, you may be a single mom, and you're working all day, every day. How, how, how am I supposed to do this? I don't have any help. It'd be great if I could stay at home all day long. And, well, yeah, I'd raise little angels, you know. I doubt it, but, you know, that's the idea, of course. How do you do that? I just want to encourage you, if that's you, do whatever you can. Take advantage of every moment that God offers you. Is it hard? Yes. Are you going to feel like you're failing? Yes. But will God honor the time that you invest in your children? I believe so. Talk to, to your kids when you're doing stuff around the house, when you're fixing supper, when you're putting them to bed. Whenever you can. I know you're tired. I know you don't feel like it. I know life has been hard for you. And I still want to say just be encouraged today. Be challenged today, even if you're that single mom, to say you can still do something. You can still do a lot. You don't have to give up. You don't have to. Maybe you're the parent of grown kids and you say, I'm not the direct influence that I once was. I'm not there yet. I'm on my way there and it'll happen quicker than I know. I understand that. But maybe you'd say, Lord, please open my eyes to the opportunities that you're giving me with my grown kids to help invest in them spiritually. Maybe the next time they send a text or connect with you on Facebook or drop by or you read the Scripture, you just send them a word of encouragement or you just say, Lord, I'm not sure I can do anything else but pray for them every single day. Then do it. If you've got the opportunity right now to be a major influence in your life, remember this. No one is more qualified to disciple your kids than you.
Nobody's closer to them. Nobody loves them like you do. And nobody has been commanded by God to disciple them but you. So take advantage of it. This leads us to the second aspect of this role of parenting. Love God and make Him known to your kids. Love God and make Him known to your kids. So so this week, the now what portion of this, let me encourage you. Take advantage of casual, teachable moments. Take advantage of casual, teachable moments. Love God. Make Him known to your kids. That's the biblical role for parents. And this week, in making Him known, take advantage of casual, teachable moments. That's what Moses is talking about. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to lead your kids spiritually. Don't buy that lie. You don't have to do it. You are the perfect person to teach your kids about Jesus. So take a casual moment this week. Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, I was driving Hank from our house to baseball practice in Murray. It was on a Saturday, I believe, and there was a roadblock, a checkpoint set up by the Callaway County Sheriff's Office at the interchange of Highway 94 and 280, Pottertown Road. And I pulled up, and they asked for my license and registration, and I just drove as fast as I could to get away. No, I... I, uh, I handed them my license. I'm just seeing if you're still awake. I handed them my license and my registration. And the officer looked at it. Thank you, Mr. Burns. Have a good day. I drove off. Hank was in the back seat. He said, Dad, what was that about? And I said, well, Hank, I, I think they're probably just trying to make sure people are following the law. I knew it was more than just, do you have your license with you? There's something else going on, obviously. But they're just trying to make sure, Hank, that people are following the law. Okay. And so there's this teachable moment God throws in my lap. So, so what I said to him after that, I said, you know, if you're doing what's right, you got nothing to worry about. Now, I didn't create that moment. I just thought, oh, Lord, okay, here's a question my son wants to know. And so we talked about that the whole way to practice in different aspects of life. If you're doing what's right, you don't have anything to worry about. That doesn't mean everything's going to go well, but you get the point. Those opportunities are there for you every single day as a parent. They're all over the place. Whether your kids are young or older, they're all over the place. All I encourage you to do this week is take advantage of a casual, teachable moment. Don't sit them down and say, for 20 minutes, I'm going to talk to you about that. Don't do that. Don't throw God's Word at them as if you just want to bang them upside the head with it. You know that doesn't work. Does it work for you? No. So instead, take advantage of a casual, teachable moment. And look at verses 8 and 9. Bind them as a sign, these, these words of God, as a sign on your hand, and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Moses is saying here, make it public. He's talking about binding stuff, which means to tie it together where there's no division, sort of being in league with, partnered with. He says that's what you're to, to be with the Word of God. Tie it on your hands. I'm reminded of Uncle Billy in, in It's a Wonderful Life. Maybe you've seen that movie around Christmas time. And he's got all those little strings tied around his fingers. Now, Billy, the, the example runs out at some point because he's sort of a scatterbrain guy. I don't remember what even the strings are for. But the point is, he tied that stuff so he would remember this means that. That's sort of the idea Moses is going for. Put this stuff on you. Make it a part of your life. And then he says, make sure it's like on your forehead as a sign that you belong to God. Do you realize that in those times that slaves would be marked on their hands and on their foreheads? Interesting to me that those parts would likely never be covered, even if they're wearing long sleeves. It was evident to everybody that this was a slave and who he belonged to. 
And I believe symbolically Moses is saying that's what we ought to be doing with God. Now you may say, well, that slave language is kind of harsh. You realize you're going to be a slave to something or to someone. It's going to happen. Paul himself in the New Testament said, you're either going to be a slave to sin, which leads to eternal death, or you're going to be a slave to Jesus, which leads to eternal life. But you're going to be a slave to something or someone. And Moses is saying here, let God and His Word mark you to make no mistake about who is your master, who you serve, and who has your devotion. He reiterates this idea with put it on your doorpost and put it on your gates. Let there be no question about who has your family's devotion. So this week, the last little part of the now what, let me encourage you as a parent, as a family, to be more than religious. Be more than religious. Please, before you pack up, let me say this. Please don't hear this sermon and go home and impose a bunch of religious laws in your home. I'm serious. Don't, please don't do that. That's not the point. Don't go home and say, all right, kids, we're going to church every time the doors are open, whether you got clothes on or not. That's not the point. The point is not to be more religious. That's not what makes you a better parent. You can be religious and not love God. Do you see the point? The point is, Moses is saying, folks, it goes far beyond being religious. This is about your heart. Moses is pointing them to the fact that they needed a heart change. And guess what? So do we. Every one of us here today, parent or not, Our most desperate need is to have our hearts, our lives changed by Jesus Christ Himself. Not to be more religious. Not to do more things right. Not to jump through more hoops. We simply need to be changed by Jesus to love Him and then to make Him known to our kids. That's it. That's that's the role. It's not easy, but it's simple. In the end, that's really what God wants from us as parents. Love God and make Him known to your kids. And I'll say this, in the end, that's what your kids need most anyway. You can provide everything this world has to offer for them, but if you don't love God and make Him known to your kids, you've failed. If I don't love God and make Him known to my kids, I've failed. I can be great in the eyes of everyone else, but if I don't do that, I've failed. Don't take it as a downer. Take it as a challenge. Take it as truth from God. So love God and make Him known to your kids. If you're a parent, start now. Wherever you are in parenting. If you're not a parent, maybe one day you will be, so remember this stuff. If you're not a parent, maybe you know somebody who is, and you just say, look, let me tell you the truth from God that can free you up. We tell you about what your role is. If you're past your days of being that direct influence, and you say, well, you know, my kids are grown. They've got kids who have kids. You know, maybe you're a great-grandparent. You know, let me encourage you. Pray for them. And take advantage of the opportunity God has given you around those kids to love God and make Him known to them. If you'll likely never have children... Let me encourage you, take your pain and your hurt to Jesus. And also, while you do that, look around at who God has placed in your life, whether here at church or somewhere else. And never assume that that kid you see has parents who love God and are making God known. Don't assume that. 
Your role as a parent is to love God and to make Him known to your kids. So simply put, do you love God? And are you making Him known to your kids? Let's pray together. Parents, this morning, I want to give you the opportunity as as you have your head bowed, your, your eyes closed, as you're just saying, Lord, what have you said to me today? I'm not sure how you need to respond. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe you say, you know, I've realized today I don't truly love God. I've just been playing a religious game. And you say, today, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior, and I need to place my faith in Him for the very first time. Or maybe you say, you know, as a parent, I've just not, I've not been following this role. I've been doing everything else for my kids, and none of it's awful, none of it's bad. I'm not trying to ruin them, but I've, I've not been doing what God wants me to do. And today I repent. And today, Lord, I ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, I ask that you give me wisdom. You may be able to do that business with God right where you are, and that's great. If you prefer in just a moment when we stand to sing, I'll be standing down here. There'll be other folks down front who'll be available just to pray for you. We don't have all the answers. We'll be happy to pray for you and talk to the one who does. I'm not sure how God wants you to respond, but please don't leave here today without responding to what God is saying to you even in these moments. Heavenly Father, speak to us, we pray. Help us to see your truth even in this moment. Call us to response. And change us, we pray in Jesus' name.